Kia team and welcome to the Beyond the Surface podcast, a platform to dive deep into the minds of incredible Kiwis who have a story worth sharing. Kicking it as the youngest politician in Wellington, Tam is a councillor at Wellington City Council and is seeking re-election at the local body elections later this year. Tam has got to be one of the realest politicians out there. At the age of 25, she cuts the fluff. She's there to make genuine change for her people, her whanau and the community. Thanks again to everybody listening for all of the support. Welcome to episode number eight. Kia ora, um, ko Tam Toku Ingoa, um, he reo hau no ngā te awa me wākotatainu hoki. Um, so yeah, my name's Tam, I was born in South Auckland, grew up in the South Waikato in Tokoroa and um, now I live in Wellington and basically um, my day job and my whole life is basically being a Wellington City Councillor. Which is pretty cool. It is like definitely a real privilege to be like 25 and just wake up in the morning and decide which issue I, you know, want to dedicate mm-hmm. my time and energy on today. Um, so that's cool. And it's like very broad and wide ranging, as you know, like local government stems, you know, everywhere and impacts everybody and, you know, touches every part of people's lives. So that's cool. Um, I guess in my things that people don't know about me is I'm still studying, I'm doing my master's at the moment in planning, I'm really passionate about public housing, housing in general, I just think that's like the big issue um, for us and Amen. for our generation, totally. Mm. And um, yeah, I like to get involved with um, different co-papa, like just volunteer my time and, um, you know, work with communities to like do good stuff um, to make progressive change basically yeah how did you first get into politics and why did you choose politics for at a local government level as that lever for change that's a really good question because like obviously change happens on all different levels um you know there's like obviously the individual stuff there's the local community stuff there's the local government level like you know um and then there's obviously central government and more um but I guess for me it kind of was just like, I think it just kind of, ha- well, it didn't just happen, but it just happened to work out that way. Like, um, I was at the time the president of the student association up at uni at Vic, and I had gotten into like lots of fights with the council that year because they were just doing like really annoying stuff, making really bad decisions. And those are having massive impacts on students. And so I would try to say to, like, my local councillors, you know, like, what are you doing? What are you up to? Like, are you even thinking of us when you're making these decisions? Who's informing you, like, telling you how to make these decisions? Because you're doing, you know, you're doing it terribly. And um, I guess they just didn't really take us seriously at all. And um, so, yeah, I guess I I was kind of just like, well, I'm – just going to stand for council because I think these issues should be debated and these councillors should be held to account for um, the decisions that they're making or not making. Um, And that happened and I guess, you know, Wellington is known to be a progressive city. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool place to live. There's definitely obviously like improvements that need to be made, but the people... I guess, decided that they wanted to have a young voice in council. They wanted student opinions and and interests represented, and so they kind of let me do it. Mm. And so that's what I've been doing, and that's basically, yeah, it just kind of all aligned. And so I've just really, like, taken the opportunity and, like, run with it and really, like, push the boundaries in terms of, like, what I can change and, um, you know, just taking the hits when there are things that I can't change and 
yeah, no, it's been cool though. I knew nothing about councils, like most of us. Like councils operate, you know, on people's apathy. Like mm. people don't engage or know what their local councillors do, and councils get away with a lot because of that. Yeah. Um, you know, as you probably have yes. seen, the best and the worst of it. You know, there's so much opportunity there to do good things and to transform people's lives for the better. But then there's also a lot of people who have just been there for like too long and. Mm-hmm. Don't represent the interests mm-hmm. of people. So when yeah. I when I worked at local government New Zealand, um, I think it was the last term. There was a crazy statistic that uh, there was only six percent of all elected members across the country were under the age of forty. Mm. So ninety four percent of them were over the age of forty, and you could be forty years old yeah. and still be considered young. So mm. to all the 40, 40 year olds out there listening, <laughs> but um, how do you find being being a young person in a really sort of stale environment that is local government, I think it mm. is changing. You know, you've got Sophie Hanford, mm. you've got mm. a whole bunch of other awesome young elected members across the country. Totally. But you're right, you look across the, the council table, especially in a lot of the smaller rural councils, yeah. and you've got a lot of elected members who sit on there as a sort of top up for their pension. Yeah, you know, basically, um, yeah. It's, it's comfy for them, they can attend the meetings, they don't have work, mm. and they can just have a fucking bullshit opinion about anything. Totally. How do you sort of navigate that space? Well, like you say, I think that is like a lot of the rural small town councils. So like that was one of the reasons as well, I guess I moved here was because my council in Toke was full of, yeah, retired farmers that were from like Patarudu and Tito and the other small farming towns around Toke. Um, but yeah, they essentially were retiring. They don't really care about what happens in the future. They don't really care um, that you know people can't afford to pay rent. They don't really doesn't bother them because yeah. it's just like like you say something to add to the CV, a bit of a legacy project for you know your old age mm. and um, on their way out. Basically, then they don't <laughs> give a shit. They're like, yeah. I'm on my way out soon. Like I don't care what decisions I make. Um, so that is a real thing in like rural towns. But I find like cities, especially like Wellington and Auckland and Christchurch and Dunedin, like. Those councils are kind of, I think, trying to be better and do things differently. And, like, that's what I've really liked about Wellington is, like, we are leading in many ways. Um, But, yeah, I guess the problem is just in those rural spaces, like, they don't pay enough money to get, you know, normal people into those roles because you can't feed your family on how much they're offering. Yeah. So it only really serves people who are already privileged, already have the yes. time and the means to be able to participate and make decisions. And so, like, it's it's realistic for someone like me in a big city, but say if I was in Tokoroa, like, I can't, I wouldn't have been no. able to do this. So it's, I think that's the issue. Like, if you want good representatives, you need to resource it and make mm. it competitive so that actual people can run for it and make a living doing it and doing it properly rather than... Like I think those little amounts and mm. stuff. Um, do, yeah. you, do you think there's a fine balance? Because I think anyone who sort of goes and on a campaigns on the premise of uh, increasing, so, uh, you know, salaries for politicians. You mm. know, people yeah. say they get paid too much, regardless. Mm. But there is that really fine line where you want to attract genuine, talented people to, to fulfil these roles, mm. but you don't want to make sure that they're only doing this for the money. It's like yeah, the, totally. like, yeah. you know, and, and even if you go to like a rural, a rural community, the mayor is on probably like 75k. Mm. It, yeah. It's crazy. Like for, in terms of what they're doing in their job, mm. um, working crazy hours, round the clock, mm. never really switch off. But 
you're right. It does cater towards that sort of older person mm. who doesn't have to worry about sort of financial pressures. Yeah. And you're right. Like you don't want to pay people too much. Yeah. But at the same time, if you don't pay people enough, you don't attract yes. good talent. Yeah. And like people, like you hear it all the time, like MPs and stuff who have taken like a pay you know, they've reduced their income to be able to be an MP and stuff, which is interesting, I think. But, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, you do get what you pay for. Mm. So that's kind mm. of the tricky the tricky balance mm. there. But, I mean, to be honest, like, councillors, if you were to, like, put the amount of money that councillors get paid in a pot compared to all of the, like, senior leadership teams of all these councils, you'll see that, councillors don't actually get paid that much and a lot of the power is with those senior executives as well so that's a problem yes because the point of democracy is that people are represented well and properly by their representatives Mm. and so you don't get the best of those people Mm. sometimes yeah why do you think we see a total lack of diversity within uh local government or or even Mm. you know politics in general i think things are moving in a better direction but it's still probably not where it should be when you say that an elected council should reflect, you know, the communities that they're serving. Mm. Um, why, why, why do you think that is the case? Um, I guess people, like, the thing that's really, like, um, what would it be, like, the thing that's dangerous about local government is that a lot of people do not know what they do, mm. what councils do, who their representatives are. Can, can, sorry, can, can you quickly just talk, like, what is a council? What do yeah. they do? So councils, basically, they do all sorts of things. They are regulators, so they regulate, like, um, they make sure that the restaurant that you're going to go and or the cafe you're eating at is, you know, health healthy and safe. Um, they... Um, regulate like what you can build, where you can build, how you build. Um, so they set a lot of rules around the kind of day-to-day operations of things. Mm. They're also providers, so they provide really critical services like housing in some places, um, the pipes and the three waters, obviously super important, um, and other, all sorts of other things like sports and recreation services and stuff. So they're like, they're regulators, they're providers, and they operate on like a really small local scale. Sometimes you'll have like a small district council or a big city council that operates like a kind of like massive machine, like the one that I work at. Yeah. And um, I think the problem with local government is I think it's it has like a legitimacy problem because less than half of the population vote in these elections. And like most people don't know who their representatives are. They don't know what the councils do. Um, and because of that, councils get, get um, they get by, they kind of get away with a lot of stuff. Um, and that's an issue obviously yeah. because like we need everyone doing their jobs properly. And um yeah, so it's it's like can be good, but can also be really bad when the wrong people are making the wrong decisions. Mm, you know, mm. yeah, yeah, it is interesting. I think even even the way that you vote. I remember last term was my first time ever voting mm. in um, a local body election, and you get sent you get sent that pamphlet. You got like a little tiny image of all of the mm. people who are running. At the time, you also used to vote on all of the DHB yeah. representatives. Yeah. And you get some absolute goofballs in there. I mean, yeah. there's this one dude who was campaigning for women to, like, go to pools with their shirts off yeah. and stuff. It's like, how yeah. the fuck 
Let me get in there. Totally. And um, and then you're, you're yeah, you're voting for like the regional council, the yeah. district health board, like crazy important decisions like that will affect you. Yeah. you know, if you break your leg or have a heart attack or something, it's like crazy that yeah. these critical decisions are left to something that's so like no one knows about it. Yeah. It's just like it's crazy. And so sorry, back to your thing about diversity, like I think the problem is that people don't know and understand the power and the potential of councils and therefore like a lot of people don't make the most of it. But again, like if you're in one of those rural towns, unless you got the money, like all the time, yeah. you can't really do it. Yeah. And so like the some of the best people can't put their names forward, which like sucks. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like for you running a campaign to get into council? There's a lot of the sort of unknown there around mm. I'm sure the whole first term has been an absolute learning experience for you. Yeah. Um, was it everything that you expected and what was it like on the lead up campaigning to get in? Um, do you mean, what do you mean like expected? Like what I've kind of. Like pr prior to you being a counsellor, is it what you thought it would be oh, yeah. or is it different? Um, it's different and better. I definitely didn't think I'd have this much freedom mm. to like really do a good job of things that I like really care about. Cause I guess what I've learned and what's good about being a young person in these settings is you aren't like institutionalized. Like you aren't constrained by what you think is possible or doable. You kind of think anything's possible cause you haven't been told for like the last 30 years in your career, no, you can't do that. Yes. You know, so I'm kind of just like, why not? Yeah, yeah, Why yeah. can't you? And then the more you ask that, like, why not? The more people's arguments fall apart and then it's kind of like oh we might as well just do it because she's going to be really annoying until we do it and then it happens and it's great <laughs> like that's basically been the last three years of my life but um yeah I thought I was I thought it would be a lot of like resistance and it has there has been a lot of resistance to doing things differently and like trying new things and like acknowledging that like fuck we've got some really big issues that we could be a real force for good towards and so that's been interesting but I think in the lead up like I know probably everyone says this but I really didn't think I was going to get it mm. I thought it was a good opportunity to make you know student and young people issues like front and center mm. and to really like clown my local councillors in public and you know like I thought it was a great opportunity but I didn't think it would like happen and so it's crazy too because there's like the election night when you find out the results next day you start wow you wow. probably know that yeah um I actually you, didn't know you that. just start yeah, like okay. you straight away start they come to your house they bring you a laptop they give you like your induction packs and you're just like straight away like you'd think you'd like it'd be like you start in a month yeah, but it's like an next day boom you're yeah. in there and I was like oh no like I'm so hungover like <laughs> I can't do anything like I don't even know I can't even remember my name but um nah it's pretty like hardcore and then similarly like this year October 8th if I lose next day boom done nothing like that is I'm crazy. back to not being a counsellor, like, no, there's no, like, redundancy pay. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah, no, yeah. like, see ya, farewell. It's just, you're Boom, out. See ya later. Yeah, so it's like, you're in, you're out. Hey, touch wood, that's not happening, eh? No, I hope not. Hey, touch wood, touch yeah, wood. Hope yeah, not. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is that is so crazy. And and what are some of the big, big challenges or issues facing Wellington at the moment? Um, 
it's, you know, being one of the biggest cities, it really is just like a, a big concentration of like all the issues. So like housing crisis, like... I'd, lo- I'd love for you to, to speak on that because that's been a really mm. sort of hot topic, especially mm. since launching this podcast. And yep. we're talking earlier, having Brad Olsen on mm. and the way that he was articulating it. Mm. Just made me think, man, we are we are fucked. We're fucking screwed. And like, oh, no. I, I I hope not. I hope not. I, I like to stay optimistic, but um, it's just crazy when you're spending so much. Like the the price of rent is just yeah. crazy. Plus the sort of bar to get your foot into the mm. um to to get a deposit. If you don't have the bank of mum and dad, you're yeah. pretty much screwed. Totally. Um, Sorry, that's a big interjection. No, no, it's true. I totally agree. Um, Yeah, like, I think, well, yeah, Wellington really does represent the the worst of the issues that, you know, you know, all the issues, all the crises that are happening, you know, the housing crisis, the climate crisis, the, you know, all these crises, you know, and that's because I think it's a combination of, um, you know, both national government or central government and local government just reckless short-sighted decision making like no one and I don't think anyone ever has really committed to solving the housing crisis because like politicians love to talk about housing and how big of an issue it is and like obviously I know like I'm renting I don't own a house I've you know I've never never owned a house um you know people even people who you'd think would support building more housing don't actually support it. Like, there's actually not that many people that su- really support the solutions that we need to fix the housing crisis. Mm. So, like, um, building more public housing and council housing, kind order housing, um, making like it easier to build housing and making that rule book a lot simpler. Like, all of these things, a lot of people, when it comes down to it, won't do it. Like, they won't make the right decision because they're worried about how it impacts their house. Their house. Prices. Conflict of interest. I know, should be. Um, they are worried about the way that it impacts voters' house prices and therefore they don't do anything about it. So that's why you really need renters in positions of power making decisions because we've got nothing to lose. That is such a good Literally. point. Literally. Yeah, that you is know? so true. I remember hearing Chloe Swabrook say that, you know, there should be a conflict of interest when mm. the majority of MPs voting on these issues are actually mm. homeowners. Of mm. course they won't want to see... Um, their house prices, you know, potentially drop. Mm. Yeah, and it's crazy because, like, yeah, they're not willing to do it, but our, the thing that's crazy about New Zealand is, like, we are – it's all about owning a home. Like, you have – and if you want to, like, properly participate in society, you have to own a home. Like, if you want to borrow money to start up a business, yep. you probably have to have a mortgage of some kind. Like, um, when you retire as a pensioner, like, your pension is calculated on the assumption that you own your house. Like – all of the there, – there's, like, so many special rights and access keys that come with owning a home in New Zealand, and, like, that's why it's such a problem. It's not just that you throw away more than half of your income on rent every week. It's it's more than the security of owning a home, being able to, like, draw on the walls and have pets. It's actually, like, you are, to an extent, locked out of society if you don't own a home. Mm. So I think, like, 
on the one hand, yes, we need to make it easier for people to be able to buy homes and get people into the market. But actually, I think on a transformational level, we've got to move our societal structure away from being about home ownership because yeah. it's just not realistic. And like you go to Europe and stuff and like it's normal to like rent for 10 years and have like really long leases and to never own a home. Yeah. I'd happily never own a home. Yeah. Because then I can just go wherever I want. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah. I don't want to stay in the same place for ages, you know. Totally. And like kudos to everybody who has afforded um, a home, especially, you know, purchase the place before the age of 30. Like that takes a lot of sacrifice mm. if that's how they got it, unless they got a handout. Mm. But um, sometimes when I see young people standing in front of that Harcourt sign, mm. um, you know, getting getting the keys, mm. that's, it's, it's still a lot of debt. Mm. It's a, so much debt for such a young age. I, I think people sort I don't of forget about that. I think they want to do it, eh? Nah. And I think a lot of people end up in relationships they yep. don't want to be in as well just to have the other person to, 100 you know. 100% go in on the it's deposit. Sad, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is crazy. And I feel like if you've got that amount of money in terms of debt through the mortgage, mm. That will stop you from trying other shit as well. Yeah. Like, if, let's because we're we're both renting at the moment, right? If we want to, we, we can take greater risks. If mm. we want to start a business, you know, we can because mm. we're not. But then also, we can't lend against the bloody yeah. renting. So yeah. there's heaps of counter arguments. Mm. But how how do some of the overseas models or foreign countries deal with? you know, house affordability and housing stock. Is there some really yeah. good models ac across across the world? Definitely better models than what we've got. Um, I think, like, that just, just like, on just on that conversation too, like, yeah, people, I think the only reason people our age buy houses is because, you know, you get to a point where you're working so hard and you're throwing away most of your income and it's just like it's down like a hole that you're never going to get anything, you're yeah. never going to reap any benefits yeah. from that, you know, and it's like you get to a point where you're just like, I'm like paying for somebody else's lifestyle at this yeah. point. Like I, you, your only option is to buy a house if you can do that. So that's just like real frustrating. But I guess in terms of other countries, there's lots of countries, there's like a global housing crisis obviously going on at the moment because I think that's where we're a little bit limited to is that when we think about the housing crisis in New Zealand, we don't realise that, yeah, we're actually part of a bigger global, you know, movement of capital and, and money and stuff. And so, like, we can keep building housing, we can continue to build housing, but until you put stronger, like, controls around it, people from, like, all over the place will continue to buy and invest in housing and treat it like a commodity. And that's the big issue. Like, countries that countries that have good housing affordability, um, low levels of homelessness, low le levels of, like, severe housing deprivation, um, where people are in secure, like, rental situations, where the quality of housing is really good. Those are countries that have, like, really good public housing. Mm. And that's why I, I've chosen to study that and why I'm really passionate about it because the only way that you can break up, like, houses being so expensive and housing being a commodity is for the state or someone outside of the market to provide the housing. Because that's like the most critical like part of the conversation is that we've got to really stop looking at housing from a financial perspective and recognise that there are there is severe housing overcrowding going on in this country, that hundreds of thousands of little kids are in hospital all the time because mm. with preventable diseases like... Um, uh, rheumatic fever and um, stuff that they get from living in in mouldy, crappy um, flats, you know, like it's 
more than a financial issue. It's it is literally a human a human yeah. rights issue, and so the only way to counter that is to for the state and for government and for councils to provide housing because the private market has shown that it's not going to accommodate yeah. the most needy people in our society, which is growing. Yeah. You know, that is a growing group of people. Yeah. What's the state of you know public homes or state homes at the moment? It's you know, it's not perfect and like obviously different governments have taken different approaches and some governments have built more, some have sold them off, some have tried different why have models. They, why have they sold them off? Because I know, I think was it when National were in, they yeah. flipped over. So under John Key, he got rid of a lot of them and it just comes back to this ideology of like how much do you think the state should interfere in the housing market? Right. And like if you're a traditional Labour government, you're going to say all the way, provide housing for people who need it because... Like, if COVID has shown us anything, it's that workers are fucking important because you can't go to the hospital, your bus won't come, you cannot go to the shop, like, your groceries can't get delivered. All of these things can't happen if workers are sick. But now we've got the situation where, like, in cities like Wellington, people can't afford to live there anymore. So we've had to close down, like, whole sections of hospitals because, like, people can't afford to live there. The state of, like, counselling and mental health services is crazy because, like, therapists and stuff can't afford to live in the city. And so, like... The housing unaffordability, it begins to impact all of the things that people yes. need to live a good life. So, like, yeah. um, so, so Labour have obviously traditionally, I don't know so much like these days, but traditionally they've taken this approach that, you know, we need to provide the housing so the workers can live in the city and they can provide the services that we need. Whereas National's approach has been more the market can provide what the housing that people need. If you remove restrictions and make it easier for them to build housing, then they'll build the housing and, you know, rent will get cheaper, house prices, da 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 da, da. So that's obviously wrong. And that obviously hasn't is, happened. Is that happening? It no. hasn't happened. I think it's probably like a mixture. Yep. It's probably like a mixture. You need like developers need to be able to build housing. Councils suck. Like councils are so notorious for stopping people from building housing because they, they don't want, you know, they don't want a big development going up next to them to their houses or whatever. So like it's probably a combination. Like you need the private market to be able to build. They need to be able to build the housing, but states, uh, sorry, councils and government and community housing providers also need to be able to like build housing too for mm. people who have the most needs deserve to be housed and yeah so mm. it's probably a combination mm. but it's always a contest of ideas you yeah. know yeah. like yeah yeah like all things um what is the direction or sort of current state of the climate crisis at the moment as well and this is obviously something you've been a very staunch advocate for especially during your time at one city council and even prior, mm. seen you at all of the uh, school strike against climate and so forth, le le leading the protesters. So can you just touch on that? What's the state of sort of climate at the moment and how that's affecting things? Um, so it's not good. It's not looking good. And I was kind of thinking like recently, like, did we have this many storms like last year? When have we had like I a week think, of like thunderstorms? Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, I wouldn't say like that's climate change, but... That is the this is the kind of weather we're going to have to be getting used to, because um, dude, tornadoes up in yeah, Waikanae, like, random, eh? So it's like extra bad this year. Yeah, I don't know what what. And summer was f hot as like yeah. next level, like record drowning because people were just yeah. like swimming where they don't usually swim and stuff. But yeah, I think climate change is a tricky one, eh? Like, I think we're doing good in Wellington. I think as you know, there's definitely more we can do in general, 
But um, I guess it just comes back to that like short-sighted decision-making. Like yep. I think a lot of the people who are in these roles do tend to make short-term reckless decisions to get elected again. But what we really need is like quite long-term thinking when it comes to climate mm. stuff. Because, yeah, I just don't think we quite realise what that future's going to look like. And it's pretty scary. I try not to like focus on the bad too much because then you just get like paralysed into not yeah. being able to do anything. But what what like you, you've probably seen a lot more of the reports and studies and stuff. Like what what could Wellington be looking like or the world be looking like in the next hundred years if we don't sort our shit out? I think Wellington's already like there's so many areas that are just going to get like swallowed up by the sea and already like parts of Wellington like Marketer and stuff when um, Cyclone Jeta happened. I think it was in 2017, just got wiped out. And, you know, those crazy South Coast storms that happen, like, every yeah. year, and that's just, like, natural, not even adding in, like, the impacts of climate change. I think the sea's going to swallow up a lot of Wellington, to be honest. And it's going to be stormier, rainier. Windier. Windy, yeah, windier. Not. Is it possible? Is that possible? <laughs> I don't know. Very scary to think about. Um, but even, like, was it on Thursday? Like, did you see those videos of, like, Lambton Key just flooded yeah. and the manholes are coming mm -hmm. off? And, like, it's crazy. And, like, that's the new world the new world that we have to adapt to. And so, like, I think it, re it really just looks like a return to nature. Yeah. And it's real hard to make people, like, think that's realistic. But, honestly, I think the future of Wellington is you're going to get in there and it's going to be, like, there's going to be, like, trees everywhere and like there's going to be like streams and stuff because we have to like it's not really a nice to have anymore the reality is we're going to get flooded all the time we've got to learn how to live with water better mm. and the only way you can really do that is start to strip back the concrete because water has to soak into the earth mm. and so you have to be planting you have to be bringing streams back up to, to um, into daylight because obviously we piped all the streams underwater when we civilised Wellington, you yeah. know, colonised Wellington. So, yeah, it's. I think a climate future looks like a return to nature, which is like a cool and exciting thing, I think. Mm. Like, mm. hopefully, like, the generation below us and stuff will suss it out. So, well, you know, we'll take it as far as we can, but hopefully they can also, you know, keep it going because it's always going to be a battle, I think, between people who think it's not real and it's not happening yep. and people who know and really want to sort it out. Yeah. Have you faced any of those pressures across the council table when you've been advocating for change in regards to um, climate change? Have like, How do you go about pushback around some of these certain ideas or concepts? Mm. Well, definitely... We'll just move this a bit closer to you. Just oh, cool. the mic. Def okay. Definitely... There's, a, there's some pushback and there's always like climate deniers and stuff who just say it's not happening or it's not happening as fast as you think it's happening and it's natural, like all that stuff. Thankfully, like there's enough people around the table with me who we've got the numbers to do good things. And like for me personally, I'm not going to waste my time trying to convince a climate denier. Yeah that their views are shit, yeah. you know, because I've got way more important things to do. There's just so much work to do that, like, if we get caught up arguing with them, climate change is going to drown us all by the time we convince everybody, you yeah. know. So it's just like get building, get working, don't worry about those distractions. It will become a problem if 
society as a whole decided that climate change wasn't happening and if they voted everyone out and just put lots of climate deniers in power, that would be like a point where it's like, okay, time to revolt, otherwise we're all fucked. Mm. But I think we're at a good place where I think most people accept it's happening. Most people are a bit scared. Most people worry, you know, about their kids. They're yeah. like, fuck, what kind of a world are they going to live in? And yeah. so I think we're in a good place. Yeah, It's going to be like... It'll require sacrifices, but I think our job as councils and stuff is to try and make like cushion those sacrifices so that people who don't have a lot to give and like who can't change their lifestyles don't have to bear so much of that burden. Yeah, 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 totally. And it, it's it's crazy at the moment. You know, you hear stories about people not even wanting to have children because mm. they're so concerned about the future that they're going totally. to grow up in. Like yeah. that just blows my mind. Which is sad. <laughs> it's oh, very sad. I mean, I, I can see where they're like coming from and stuff, eh? Because yeah. that would be scary. I'm sure that's scary totally. for you. Um, but at the same time, it's like you can't just Don't stop having kids. Yeah, I know. you know, Don't like, give up. It's part of being human. You yeah, gotta, you, they might go on and do something like freaking mean. What What if your child was the one that had like the silver bullet solution to yeah. the climate crisis? Well, yeah, you just never know. And I, it makes me sad when I hear like. Māori saying stuff like that too because it's like don't end your whakapapa yeah. here because yeah. of something like that like you know it, yeah so it, it is sad but I think there's always going to be challenges and I do think to an extent that's what life is about yeah. like you you find your purpose in life through a challenge that seems like insurmountable yeah. and then you die yeah <laughs> like it's cool then repeat yeah, 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 yeah. yeah and someone else goes and do it, does it yeah um, what sort of role models have you had growing up Tam who, who has like if you look back and past your life even growing up as a four to five year old who has played a really instrumental role to getting you to where you are today um, so definitely my koro or my grandfather he's probably like my number one inspiring person and like I'm real lucky because some people don't you know have their grandparents in their life and He's been the bomb, and I think his whole thing was like, you know, all you got to do is be an honest, hardworking person. Like, that's all he's, like, ingrained in me. Like, my whole life is, like, all you have is, like, your honesty and your and your integrity in the way that you do things. Mm. So go and do whatever you want, but just do it with those things. And I think that's, like, steered me quite well through life so far. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and definitely, like, my mum, of course, too, like um, – to kind of balance out that, you know, it's kind of like masculine and feminine energies and stuff. But she's obviously like, she's a she's a caregiver, so she's like very caring and she's always worried about like those kinds of things. And she's a good reminder to me that like when you're like go 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 mahi mahi mahi, like you've also got to be like stop. Mm. Are you looking after yourself? Mm. Are you looking after the people around you? Like those kinds of things that I tend to just go over my head sometimes. So yeah, a good combination. Lots of just a great fano. Yeah, um, really good friends. Awesome siblings, great cousins, like, you know, just... And growing up in Tokoroa, I think, like, massive influence and impact on... It's just, like, I think when you grow up in a community like that, it just teaches you not to be selfish. Yeah. And I think that's probably something that real pisses me... Well, not pisses me off, but that I come up against in, like, the political space is, like, so many people are just so selfish. Yes. Like, they don't want to... They don't want their house prices to drop a little bit. They don't want to have to, like, not drive their car to work. Like, all that kind of... It's just a little bit selfish. And so I guess I wish there was more, like, people just had a bit more of a collective mm. mindset about mm. thinking about more collectively about mm. the decisions that they make and, like, who they vote for and where they, you know, 
how they use their money even like all those kinds of things? I think it's the real divide between some of the rural communities that we have versus the metro and the larger cities. Mm. Like in a smaller town, you know your neighbour, you talk to them. Mm. Um, there's a greater sense of probably, yeah, collective understanding mm. to the people around you. But when you move into a bigger city, you just become, well, you can just become like another number, another clog in the machine. Yeah. Um, I've definitely seen that through some totally. of the some of the travels. Have you have you seen seen, seen mm. that take too? Yeah, just like it's just city living, eh? Like people are just all on their own. It's the rat race. Yeah, yeah. And so that's uh, that's a big part of the challenge too, eh? Is like how to get them to like care again and feel a part of a community. Mm. It's also hard when like you you know when you just go to a city just for one particular reason, like you're there for uni or you're there to do a job, like you don't really feel like a part of. That community, yes. I think that's also like real tricky. Yeah, yeah. Did you go through the Tuia program as well? Yeah, you yeah. Twenty nineteen, I think it was. Nice. Yeah, with Justin when Justin was the mayor. Do you want to speak on what that Kopapa is all about? Yeah, yeah. Hard out. Um. So basically, Tuia was set up by um. Well, lots of people, but the key dude is you know legendary Marcus Marcus Brown, <laughs> who's just a legend. Um. He's like the most legendary person that not everyone knows, eh? Like, he's just such a legend. He's been so... Because through my past job, we had a lot of work with Tuia, mm. and I always found him very intimidating. Like, True. But I think he's just got so much mana. Yeah, he's got a lot. when you sit down and talk to him, he's always challenging you mm. in the way that you think and, mm -hmm. like, changing the way shit has always been done in the past. Totally. I remember, like, my first meeting with him, I was like, whoa, like, did I do something wrong or mm. but then you just realize that that's that that's who he is and he's mm. yeah he's very, very incredible intelligent man he is pretty cool and it cracks me up when people because a lot of people have that um impression too like they're like quite it's like quite overwhelming his yeah his mana but um i always find it crack up because i was on the toya trust for a little while with him and i used to i had like the total opposite impression i was like this dude's like so playful and crack up and like not immature, but you know, he just, it was it's like almost childlike as well. Right. And so I think it's cool when people have that, you know, two sides to them. But um, so Tuya basically is so Marcus sussed it out, but it's supported by lots of different people. And basically, it's just like Rangatahi Māori or young Māori across the country um, team up with like their local councils or like lo local organisations, and um, they just kind of get invested in their community and like doing things that they've wanted to like see change or help change or direct that change um, and they kind of work together on that but also all so all the rangatahi Māori across the country all um, kind of develop and grow together through the series of wānanga that happen across the country across the year there's like five of them and so it's just a cool it's just a really cool like Thing for rangatahi Māori, for young people, for councils who benefit a lot from that program. Um, and yeah, it's just cool. Like I think more of that stuff is needed and mm. you can't really place like any, like an, an economic value on that kind of thing, but people see the value in it yeah. and the change that it like makes in communities and stuff. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it is an amazing program and I got to have the opportunity to go to a few of the wānangas mm. and and stay over on the marae, and I've never done as much dishes as, as I have, yeah. you know, o over those two days. So but humbling, eh? It is, it is so, yeah, yeah, very, very humbling. Um, but what what I found really amazing and coming in there is like the only Pākehā and just observing. I was just watching mm. and talking to people over the weekend. But there's something innately powerful about 
connecting Māori with back into their culture, you mm. know. That it was just so transformational for mm. so many of the rangatahi there. Totally. I was just like, holy shit, I never never thought about how 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 powerful this this could be. Yeah, um totally. yeah, it's incredible. And it's Kopapa Māori, you know, it's led by um, and designed by and thought of and shaped and sustained by Māori and that's like the most important thing. And I think anyone, any community where they can lead their own, you know, they lead what that solution looks like yeah. or, um, you know, it's always going to be successful because, yeah. you know, it's grassroots. And I think it's looking at young people, and this is kind of like the ethos of where Tuia was um, almost created from from my understanding is it's not looking at young people and especially Māori from a deficit perspective. Mm. You know, it's actually talking about how we can how how we can empower and connect and just le- learn off each other a lot mm-hmm. more. And I, I think that's that's challenges that we see so much for for young people for Māori is just that sort of deficit thinking in terms mm-hmm. of the interventions to help them. Yeah, it doesn't come from like a mana enhancing way. Yeah, or it's always like too late. Yeah, or it's yeah, too late. It's, yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you see being some of the sort of issues? facing young people at the moment um, or barriers holding them back from seeing their potential? Yeah, I reckon it's just that this country, eh, just doesn't value young people. Um, you know, like you you grow up here and, you know, you, you want to go to uni or do some kind of training and it fucking is really expensive. You have to move to a city where it's really expensive to flat and, you know, if you don't have – you know, if you if you have some things go wrong in your life, that those opportunities are basically just like shut off yeah. to you. And then you finally get your degree and you're in debt or you get you do your apprenticeship and you got all this debt on you and then you've got to start paying it back and then the wages are crap. Um, you get treated not the best and then everyone just goes overseas because you're gonna you've got a better opportunity of like saving for a house, getting really good like pay, really good bonuses, really good working conditions in other countries Mm. and like that's I think a really big issue that we have to like solve otherwise Mm. we're screwed because we need people building the houses you know Mm. we need people building the new transport infrastructure you know we need people building all that stuff and I think COVID's really again shown us like if you don't value workers and you don't pay them properly it impacts everybody and it makes life way worse yeah yeah Yeah. what do you think the eight-year-old Tamitha Paul would think of you today? Oh, definitely I would think she's really cool. Cool. (laughs) Yeah, like I think that quite a lot. I'm like, yeah, no, uh, that's all that matters. Like I think the younger version of me would think I'm pretty cool. So that's like important. It's it's an interesting thought that, like what what your younger self would think. Mm, Yeah. Mm. Now, no, I always, I just always wanted to hustle as a kid. Eh? Like, I just always like saved all my money. Yeah. Everyone would be going to the shop. I'd be saving mm. my little coins. You know, like I just always wanted to hustle, and always wanted to be in a position where I could do this. Like, yeah. just you know, do like my I can not make a living, but I can provide for myself while doing something that I actually care about. Yeah, like what a privilege! Like. How many people are doing jobs that they hate? Yeah, at this age, so you know, many. being treated like crap by their bosses, like. It's just such a privilege to be able to do this, but yeah, we'll see if that carries on for much longer. Might not. <laughs> we'll be cut short at the end of the year. No, nah, you'll be you'll be sweet. And um, 
hot off the press as well. So the Green the Green Party yeah. alignment. So yes. do, do, do you want to speak on that? Yeah, sure. Um, I joined the Green Party. Yeah. I, I've always loved the Green Party. I don't think it's that much of a surprise to most people. They're like, yeah, it was either Greens or Māori Party, like let's be honest, yeah. which is cool. I mean, I take that as a compliment. I love them both. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I've been a councillor for three years now. I've always been an independent, but I guess now it's kind of like I need to amplify the work that I'm doing. And the only way you can do that is by joining, being a part of something bigger than yourself. Yep. So um, I just want to be a part of the Greens. I like the idea too of being like accountable to a community. Like I especially like the idea of like, if you stuff up, they're going to tell you mm. and they're going to, you know, you're going to answer to them. And so like, I I really like that. And um yeah, I think next year is going to be interesting too. Like, what's going to happen? I think it's, you know, it's our time to shine. I know. You know, I think it's our time to shine. What are some of the benefits of aligning, aligning to a political party while you're running for, you know, local office? I don't know that it has many benefits. In fact, like, I think most people prefer independence because in their head it's like you're always going to make a decision that factors them in as opposed to just what the political party tells you to do, although that's never really the case. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't make much of a difference. I think it just clearly tells people where I stand politically. And, like, yeah, I think I, I my, my big thing too is I think timing is important and um, I think next year will be a really big year. And so I think it's important for me to, like, say where I stand and... For, you know, if there's anyone out there who like listens or thinks I've got good thoughts that I'm saying to you, mm. fucking vote green because mm. it's going to be a big year next year. Um, we could have any government, um, and I reckon it's really important that it there's a strong green presence in that government. So just trying to tell people, you know, it's, it's go time. You know, why should people vote for the Green Party? Or consider voting for the Green Party? Because Labor's not going to do it by themselves. Like, they've just shown that they're not willing to make any changes on housing. They're not willing to make it harder for landlords to be, you know, landlords. You know, what they are doing. They, they're, they've shown they're, they're not, you know, like, they say the right things, but they're not actually doing what needs to be done in so many different ways. And, like, half of the MPs don't even have members' bills in. It's like, what are you doing in there mm. if you're not actually going to try and change the law that you've been, like, elected to, you know, have a look at? And so I think Greens are different. Greens are always – they're always imagining a better world, always trying to talk about that. They're trying to engage people that don't want to vote. They're trying to represent communities authentically. Like, they're trying to show you how things could be better. Like in terms of climate change, you know, James Shaw does an amazing job. Martin Davidson tries to show what a world with what communities without like family violence would look like. Mm. Um, Chloe's, you know, showing us, you know, how you know how stupid it is our like drug laws, yeah. how stupid they are. Like she's been incredible. She's in that space, been man. amazing, yeah. and like they've all been amazing on their own like things. And so like you need people like the Greens alongside people like Labour because otherwise people like Labour just get by being average. Mm. And I think we deserve the world from our government. We deserve, like, innovation and, like, new ideas, things to get excited about, like, things to talk about, like, things to be hopeful about. But we're just getting, like, boring. Although I will admit I am pretty happy at the way – well, not happy, but I'm grateful to have been in this country over the last two years with COVID because oh, totally. I frick like totally. that could have gone any yep. way you know any which way and I think you know yeah. hats off to the you know credit where credit is due they did a pretty good job with that response totally who's your favorite Labour MP 
Oh, Labour MP. Oh, um, it's actually Michael Wood, Transport Minister. He's the man. Um, I really like, he's he's taking climate change seriously. Cool. You know, and he's real hardcore on the workers' rights too, so he's yep. done heaps of really good worker stuff. I like Kitty Allen as well. Yeah, I think Kitty's she's a cool. boss. Um, and another one that I really like is um, Aisha Verrill. Oh, so um, I think she she's she's new. She's is a new she like comes from the health background? Is that yeah, her? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she did some of the COVID modelling. I think at the yeah. beginning before she was an MP. I think, but yeah, I think she's dope. Like everyone I talk to really rates her, and like she's one of those ones that can like work with different people. Mm. Like she can work with national MPs. She can work with green MPs. Like and that's really important. Yeah. Obviously, Lewis Award, but she's not there anymore. But she, you know, the bomb. What about uh, through national? Do you have like a favourite MP or um, somebody you get along with? You're civil? Um, um, I think Nicola Willis is all good in some ways. Like I think of all the deputy leaders there could have been, I think she's really good yep. um, in terms of the pick of the bunch that you have. Um, yeah, I think she's all good. I don't know anything about Chris Luxon, never met him. Um, hey, if he yeah. runs an air company, he can definitely run a, a, um, a country. Yeah, <laughs> I know, crazy stuff. That like rhetoric, that. eh? Yeah. What about what about act? I'm just going to go through them all. Nah, I nah. think they all suck. <laughs> no, I'm not even going to try and be like objective and like fair there. Yeah, nah, yeah, they yeah, suck. Yeah. They're honestly trash. Like when I was at the. <laughs> When um, James was reading out the emissions reduction plan when he announced that a couple of weeks ago, I was like asking James a question and then there's some act MP, I didn't even know he was an MP, who was like trying to interrupt me and like fucking say all this racist shit. But I was just like, bro, oh shut God. up. Like I'm trying to listen to the minister right now, answer my question, like be quiet. But then I didn't find out till later that he was an act MP. They're just random. They're dangerous though. Yeah. They're dangerous. Like if you look at what Aotearoa would look like if they got what they wanted, it's scary times. Mm. It would just make the the wealth gap, insane, and it would just, the, the number of people, like, on the streets, lining up at the food bank, in hospital, like, would be next level. Mm. So, like, nah. It is crazy. We won't get into the new conservatives. Um, oh, <laughs> oh, no. I want to say my favourite. Nah. <laughs> cool. Hey, um, where can, Tam, where can, where can people keep in contact with you, keep in touch with you and your mahi? Um, main place, probably Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter, yep. just at Tamitha Paul on all of those platforms. Um, yeah. Cool. Awesome. We'll do some nice, uh, quick fire questions oh, before we wrap up. Yeah, no, they're okay. not even that, that hard to okay, be cool. honest. Oh, no. Um, the I first one is though, ones. <laughs> what is the meaning of life? Oh, you know, as I said, <laughs> you just, you, it's, it's li literally leaving the place a better place and you got it. Nice. That's okay, it, that's yeah. good. Um, I might get in a bit of trouble for this one. Fuck, Mary kill Chris Luxon, Luxon, David Seymour, or Jerry Brownlee. No, oh, you can't answer nah, that. No, I still right. can't answer that. I'd honestly rather go jump off the building, to be honest. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, dealing to Karens or your worst Karen moment, have you had a one that st stood out to you? Um, yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking about this today because so, I interact with a lot of Karens all the time. At, at Shout Council. out to Karen. Yeah, fuck Karen. No, um, <laughs> No, just, oh, just, you know, Karen's just, I don't know, I have interactions with them all the time. They like to take opportunities to, like, try and publicly shame for, you know, a decision that I've made or, like, you know, they just, you know. I think for Karen's it's all about, like, trying to, like, claw back some kind of power, you know. Yeah. It's like, 
Get on, girl, whatever makes you feel better. So what's been your worst Karen moment? Oh, worst one? Any ones that really stand out where you're just uh, like, oh, my God. Nah, I haven't really had a bad one because I just don't have time for it. I just remove myself from the situation. Yeah, fair cool. Know? Fair cool. That's a good They're approach. Just time wasters. Uh, they try to wrap you up in processes. So yeah. Favourite Freddie Gibbs song. Oh, I know you're a big fan. And yeah. we'll chuck in Homebrew as well. Oh, good. Or Tom Scott. Oh, that's again. hard. But, I knew one of these, some of these questions go. Freddie Gibbs. Favourite Freddie Gibbs song. That's really, really hard. Most important question in this whole podcast. It would be easier to be like, what was my favourite album? Song. Nah, that's really hard. Okay, I'm going to have to go. It's going to be on Pinata. Nah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with fake names. Fake names. Because yes. it's Mad Lib. Uh-huh. That switch up is insane. Yep. There's a colors performance of it. There's some really good lines in there, like courtroom funeral fresh. Like, oh, so, so good. good. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's my Freddie Gibbs song. Nice. And Homebrew. Slash Tom Scott. Could be like yeah, Club oh, or... that one would probably be like Listen to Us or... Um, Classic. Yeah, because that really inspired me. Like, yeah. it still does, but real, you know, when you're yeah. young and you hear that, you're like, yeah, what the hell? Like, we're getting fucked over right now. But if not that, then probably... Probably like dedicated to or something mm, like just beautiful. the real early, yep. you know, when he is like real hungry yep. to you know like just that kind of stuff. I still find real inspiring, even though he doesn't like performing anymore. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, I'm still gonna listen to it. You know. I know. I know. No, fair bit, enough though. I wouldn't want to perform stuff that I said like 20 years ago either. and relive some of your demons. Yeah, and shit. yeah, yeah. Hard out, but hard still, out. come on, man. But it's still a classic. Yeah, for the people. Classic, classic. Yeah. Cool. Uh, advice you wish you knew about when you were younger. Um, oh, just, oh, I guess, like, just basic, like, none of it all really matters. It all really doesn't matter. Mm. None of it even matters at all, <laughs> really. Nothing matters. Yeah, nothing That's really matters. It's so like you. everything matters, but nothing really matters. Yeah. So just get over it and don't, like, dwell on dumb stuff because it don't, will not matter to you. Yeah, don't take life too seriously. Yeah. I think people don't take yourself too seriously. Or yourself, well. yeah, yes. Totally. What does legacy mean to you? Um, well, to me, it's about um, – for me, it's I think I'd take, like, a real iwi view to that. Like, for me, a legacy is one in which people with your common – you know, ancestor, common whakapapa, common ancestry are in better positions to do what it is that they want to do in their life. So, like, for me, one day, like, I hope my legacy is one where I'm, like, able to, like, house all my hapu and iwi, that I want them all to be housed, I want them to all have top-class education, mm. top-class access to healthcare, like, top-quality access to everything. I want us to be able to, like, provide for ourselves. Mm. I don't want us to have to rely on, like, the government or the Crown. Like, I want us to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, sustainable. Like, that's what a legacy looks like to me. And then, like, of one of those people, they're going to keep it going. Yeah. Like, so that's, to me, like, that's my prize, like, that I hope I can, like, get to at some point. That's beautiful. Um, if you were the Prime Minister and you could change one thing in New Zealand, what would this be? And money's not an issue or political sort of, you know, willpower. Um, well, just straight off the bat, something I've been thinking about a lot lately is I would make, like, dental care free. I just think that's such a big thing. I know. Like, a big, massive thing that the government could do yep. and that would make people's lives easier because, like, 
if you've had like tooth pain before, uh-huh. it's like next level pain. But also like there's just so many people walking around that are in pain, can't afford to get dental care. It erodes their confidence, their ability to like interact with other people and mm-hmm. do stuff and work and all that stuff like straight off the bat, that's definitely something I'd do. But if it was like an important thing, um, I guess I'd give back all the land that the crown stolen. <laughs> like, if I could do anything at all, then yeah, I'd do that. You got my vote. Yeah. Um, what dental care. <laughs> yeah, hey, both of them. Uh, what do you believe is the main thing that is holding back young people in New Zealand? Oh, probably the um, system mm. that treats them like shit. What system? Oh, I think just the way that we... I think we've got to remove barriers to people um, that want to, like, better themselves, like, in any way. Just don't make things so expensive. Yeah. In fact, make things free. Yeah. It's really normal. And, like, you go to Europe and stuff and you just see the the access and quality of free services they get over there for, like, everyone. But especially for a young person, like, it's transformative. Because then it doesn't matter, like, what family or community you come from. If you want to, like, take those steps to, like get a degree and study something you care about, you can do that and Mm. you're not, like, bound up in debt or held back by barriers that you can't control. So, like, I think the fact that we make everything so expensive is holding young people back, but then the fact that when they've tried really hard and gotten a degree, gotten an apprenticeship, all of those things, we don't even, like, pay them properly. So I think it's those structural things that are holding people back. Yeah. Because you can have, like, the best mentality and be positive as about all these things, but if you're just constantly getting, like, barriers and treated like crap at every term, you're not going to want to, like, stay here. Mm. And even, like, it should not be due to the luck in terms of where you're born mm. and located in the country should determine the access that you have to education mm. or employment opportunities or totally. healthcare, but that's so the way things are. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Cool. Hey, we'll leave on a quote before we wrap up this is by Simon Sinek somebody who I really um, admire he's pretty incredible if you guys haven't seen his stuff before he's got one of the best TED Talks um, out there in my opinion Um, here we go leadership requires two things a vision for the world that does not yet exist and the ability to communicate it thanks Tabitha Mm, Kia to that